Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Greetings, friends. I'm Mariki de Guerrera. I'm Sam Paul. I'm Vari Rob. And we are here today to talk about Vampire Isabel Norte, the new book by Isabel Cañas. Uh, Isabel Cañas' first book, Hacienda, has been talked about a lot on many of our platforms because it is quite a favorite among our community. This book is a little bit of a departure. That book was kind of a post-colonial gothic. This is a sort of supernatural horror. Um, it's not very spooky. If you're spooky-averse, um, I would say you could be pretty safe with this one. Um, it's a story of vampires versus vaqueros on the uh, Mexico-Texas border during the Mexican-American War. So that's set during uh, around the 1840s. It's also a bit of a love story. It um, concerns our two main characters, are Magdalena or Nena, um, and Nestor, and uh, Nena is the child of uh, Alcindado, he owns the hacienda, and Nestor is a grandson of a woman um, who works on the hacienda, and he's got family who works on the hacienda, um, and they sort of fall in love as children, and there's a big tragedy, um, Nena is attacked by one of the vampires, and Nestor believes that she's dead, in his grief, he sort of um, runs away. He leaves uh, Hacienda and he sort of seeks his fortune elsewhere and tries to, you know, do what he can to erase Nena from his mind. But uh, we know that Nena is still alive and she has a lot of feelings about being abandoned by Nestor. And uh, so they are reunited uh, about, I think it's what, nine years later, nine years after the inciting incident. And uh, they are forced together in the, in this circumstance to try to defend the Hacienda against the Yankees, uh, who are coming in to take the land. We'll try to keep it pretty spoiler light episode, but there will probably be some here and there. Um, all right. So, uh, and one of the things I did want to say is that Dr. Canas is a historian and she brings a lot of really well um, researched history into all of her books. This book is not an exception to that. So in addition to the romance and the supernatural horror, there's also a lot of history. What did you all think of the book? I loved the book. I um, It's a departure from most things that I read. I don't read a lot of historical fiction in general. Um, and I don't read a lot of romance either. And I don't read a lot of horror. Uh, <laughs> They're all sort of genres that I think um, when I was a younger reader, I dismissed. And then over the past several years, I've sort of come around to all of them, um, some maybe a little more slowly. So um, the historical parts are what I loved the most. I had read that um, Dr. Kanyas was completing this book while completing chapters of her dissertation, which is kind of incredible because um, I think it allows her to make this such a multi-layered world um, where we're dealing with, you know, this time and this place. And then so many really intricate questions about class are sort of interwoven throughout the story. Um, just sort of the everyday lives of different kinds of people. And sort of the ways that um, both Nena and Nestor are, con are constricted by their um, social places. I um, 
beyond that, I loved the romance, the will they, won't they between uh, Nena and Nestor. I thought it was really well done. Um, it sort of is what propelled me through the book, um, especially when I thought that the horror might get a little bit much for me. Um, which I'm I'm glad that it was, you know, lower on the spooky scale because I um I prefer sort of a horror light version, I think. Um yeah, I just thought it was it was a serious read, but it was also sort of like delightful um at the same time. Like there were these both aspects um where it was really it was just a really satisfying book. Yeah, I definitely I loved it, obviously. Um I actually finished the book um last night so it's really like fresh in my head I definitely will say that if it wasn't for the Hacienda coming before this um I probably wouldn't have read this book um so Dr Canius is definitely like an instant buy for me now but if someone had told me that this was a romance slash western slash historical fiction those three things are not really they're like bottom of the list genres for me not for any um real reason other than there are other things that grab my attention more so I'm very much uh one of our horror girls and that's what I like and that's what got me into the Hacienda and I would say that the Hacienda is probably 80% 80% horror, 20% like romance, you know, that the romance is definitely a sideline in that book. Um, and there is definitely a lot more spooky in that book. And then this one is the opposite of that. It's 80% the romance and 20% or less the horror. And the horror in this is not, you know, if you are a horror reader, it's not anything scary. You wouldn't pick this book up for the horror aspect of it let's put it that way but I have zero regrets I really love how um rich the story is and how in fantasy it would be called world building but obviously it's not really world building because it's based in like reality here but I don't really have a better word for it at the moment I just really love the the way that Isabel Canias can pull up images um, in your mind with how she writes. You can picture, you know, the people she's talking about in the places that she's talking about and the feelings that they're having without having to force it. Um, I really, really love that about her writing. And for somebody that has absolutely zero familiarity with the history in this book, um, because I obviously grew up and was educated somewhere else. And for somebody that's never been to any of the places or even remotely close to any of the places in this book, I was still able to call up images that I feel like the author would have been satisfied with. I feel like that's what she was going for. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And once I got into it, I was able to, like, gallop my way through it. It was, again, the the will they, won't they was very much a, pulled you through the book I felt like 
One of the things that I, and this is sort of like a, just a minor comment. I've got something else I kind of want to expand on, but like one thing that I noticed about, so I read the physical book and I listened to the audio book. I did both things because I really, I did really like this book a lot, but in the physical book, what you, one of the things you notice is that the, she doesn't italicize the Spanish. And I've talked about this um, on a, on a podcast and a different podcast about how meaningful that is for readers, because it doesn't call out this other language as other, you know, but, and I got like maybe halfway or two thirds of the way through the book and realized she was italicizing English when it was spoken by the Spanish speaking characters, which I thought was really interesting. There are a couple of things in this book that are really flipped and that's one of them. It's a really minor thing, but it's something that felt meaningful to me, sort of like this book isn't necessarily written for a white audience, but all people are welcome to it, you know? Uh, but the thing, it, it's like, a, not only is the horror and the romance flipped from La Hacienda, but the perspective is, is flipped from La Hacienda. Like La Hacienda, you get a perspective a lot more from the position of a more indigenous person. Um, and this is... Uh, um, the book does go between Nestor's perspective and Nena's perspective, but uh, primarily I feel like it's driven by Nena's perspective and she is Spanish. You know, they colonize the area, her family colonized the area and they came from Spain. And so they're a lot more fair skinned. Um, they're wealthy. And um, it just was a, it was interesting shift and horror itself too was shifted from like traditional Gothic horror, which like saw indigenous people and indigenous um, practices, religious practice, spiritual practices as like the boogeyman, the big scary thing, the, you know, zombies and that sort of thing that we still carry through in our horror stories now. But she changed it so that for at least for a little while, the vampires are um, El Cuco, which is uh, like the boogeyman in Mexico and Central America. El Cuco uh, is a good allegory for the Yankees. You know, they're coming in, they're sucking the blood. They're really scary. You don't know when they're there. It's like they're decimating the population. And that is what happened, you know, during the Mexican-American War when the United States you know, annexed pieces of Texas and then ultimately New Mexico and Arizona and all the way up into Wyoming and over to California. Yeah, I thought um, that sort of using colonialism as the vampire was so genius. Um, I I just, you know, I think that we, as you said, like the vampire or the werewolf or the supernatural is always the other. Um and in this case, it's the white people who are invading, who are othered. Um, I really appreciated that. I also, um, I in the author's note, she calls attention to um, a politician who used the term vampire to um, describe the settlers. And I heard in an interview, she was talking, basically saying, you know, this use of the word vampire came before Dracula. Um, so she traced this term sort of back before, you know, what we think of as one of the first popular usages. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was, that was really one of my favorite takeaways too. See, I actually hadn't realized that she, or maybe I'd realized and hadn't really 
paid much attention to it that she was italicizing the English. So I don't speak really any Spanish at all. So I did notice the um that there is a lot of Spanish in this book, just you know, words that are dropped in in sentences and things like that, which I found actually to be really interesting and really helpful to give more callback to actually this is what this book is talking about this is where this book is set rather than everything just being in English like it would be you know if this was more of a book for the English and the white audience so it really kept my attention on that but I do I do find it very interesting in a oh that's really smart kind of way that she was italicizing the English at the end there and I I can see how that would add to the atmosphere of the book and the point that she's obviously trying to make. Did either of you have feelings about um the fact that and I I thought about this I think during my second read through not my first one but about how she and her father and all the asandados and neighbors and stuff like that were saying like this is our land and we're going to fight to protect this land and like this is our home but they had not very long ago come and taken this land from someone else the same way the Yankees were coming to take it from them I hadn't thought about it in those terms I um I was thinking about it in certain terms because I was thinking about, um, you know, the rancho, the rancheros versus the vaqueros, um, and how there is an ethnic and a class divide between the two of them. Um, but no, of course, it it makes perfect sense to think about the sort of the long tail of colonialism that isn't just U.S. colonialism, but it's European colonialism before that. Um, I think that's a really, really good point. So interestingly, that hadn't really occurred to me um, at all. You know, obviously I did notice in the book that there definitely was a lot of class divide. And it does mention in the book specifically um, skin color. So at one point, Nenya talks about the fact that she's not wearing a hat and that her mother will call that out because her skin will get darker because she's in the sun um but I, it still never occurred to me actually that you know they their people their ancestors had come and colonized that land recently and it was obviously happening again so that's quite quite an interesting take that I missed we can all just kind of marinate on that one for like a little bit. I know I need to like process how I feel about that. And I know it wasn't unintentional, you know, um, uh, Dr. Kanyas is very insightful and very clever in the way that she wields this genre and really um, lets you read her books at whatever level it is you want to receive them. You know, if you just want to read uh, like a supernatural horror story with like a little romance or a lot of romance and like you can do that. If you want to read it from like a historical perspective, you can do that. If you want to look at it as an allegory for colonialism, you can do that too. You can do all the different layers you can take them all in or just pick the one that fits for you um it's what i think makes her writing really really unique uh do you have any final takeaways before we close i just really appreciated this book i felt like there like as you said there's so many layers to it um i 
you know, at some point, just thinking about it as a Western, as a tall tale, um, as folklore, uh, there are just so many different ways to interpret all the different aspects of it. Um, it just really sticks with me. Yeah, I think my takeaway is that I am going to go and listen to this on audiobook version um, because there are a lot of words and things in there that, you know, I can read them in my head, but I'm probably not pronouncing them right and not, you know, fully understanding them. So I think I'm going to go in, listen to this again and see what I missed because there are so many layers to this book and even just now in this conversation there are things that I completely did not see so I think that would be quite interesting yeah I loved it on audio I love Libro FM they're really wonderful well thank you uh, both for joining me for this discussion about also one of my instant buy authors and I will read anything that she writes and um, and it was just such a pleasure to talk with you all um, if anyone's looking for me, you can find me on Instagram at O underscore Murray. Um, you can find me at Sam Paul, Sam Paul. And I'm on Instagram as at Varlet the Harlot. Thank you all so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Um, until next time, be well. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is a thing.